Please have a seat. just want to give you three quick announcements this morning about upcoming faith formation opportunities. Next week, Monday, we welcome our next first Monday speaker, um, Sarah Gerritsma Damore, who's a chaplain at the University of Toronto, will be here. Um, you can see the titles of her morning and her evening um, participation with us listed there, so seize these opportunities. Next week, Thursday, we will be hosting um, the first ever Q Commons, Q Ideas, um, is a, a national group inviting, creating conversations at the intersection of faith and life, um, bringing together people from business, education, government, um, arts, media, and culture, and beyond to talk about what it looks like for Christians to be involved in the common good in society. We'll simulcast lectures um, or talks, beginning um, with Tim Keller and Ann Voskamp, and move through the course of the night, the three speakers here. Um, the block of tickets at the Andreas Center has opened up for the Dort College community is over half gone, so if you'd like to get in on this, please stop by the Andreas Center and pick up your free tickets. Tickets are selling for $20 in the community, and through the Andreas Center, they are free to you um, up until the first couple hundred anyway. Third, um, I want to welcome our speaker this morning, um, Scott Evans from Ireland. I'm now seek out speakers through First Monday Speaker Series and also in chapel and often meet people's agents and talk on the phone and find speakers in all these different places or on radio. And I met Scott Evans on the streets of Nashville in the middle of a conversation with a homeless man. So not where we typically find him for, but obviously gave away very quickly where your heart lies and um, what it is that God's called you to and the things that you're most passionate about within the kingdom. Scott, we're thrilled that you are here today. He's middle, in the middle of an 11-week tour to different churches and colleges across America. You can see his three books are released, listed there. Closer Still, Beautiful Attitudes, and Failing from the Front. If you'd like to do a small group on campus with any of these materials, Campus Ministries will provide them for you free of charge. And he'll also be giving um, a discussion tonight for area youth groups as well as anybody from campus who's interested on the dagger and the delusion in SB 1606 at 7 o'clock. Will you please join me in welcoming Scott Evans. We pray with us. Father, will you take this offering too and make it beautiful? Thank you for Scott, for his heart, for his love for you, for the ministry you gave him. Nourish him in his work and bless us in our hearing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Well, that was solemn. Um, <laughs> great. I used to be a youth worker, so I was tempted to go, let's give that one more try, but no, you don't get second chances, not anymore. I don't do youth <laughs> ministry. You blew it. <laughs> so um, apparently, in order to make your way up here, you need one of two things. You either, according to the, the people amongst your staff that I've met already, you either need incredible intellectual and academic prowess or an Irish accent. Um, I'm very relieved to have the second because I don't have the first. Um, oh yeah, there's my books, that's gross, let's go. Okay, um, <laughs> Irish people, like, there's, like the greatest sin in Irish culture is self-promotion, so 
just forgive me while we get through this, okay? So I do a podcast called The Graveyard Shift, and people, many people who have done um, full-time ministry or missionary work in Ireland call Ireland a missionary graveyard. So myself and two friends of mine who have a combined kind of 50 years experience in, in ministry in Ireland, we do a podcast together called The Graveyard Shift, um, and you can find that on iTunes, and then I do a blog called The Revelectionary, which is a weekly reflection on Tuesdays, blah, blah, blah. Great. Wonderful. Okay, so... Um, my Twitter handle is not Scott Evans, and that's because my name actually isn't Scott Evans. My parents changed their mind after I was born. Sounds fine. I didn't really care. My first name was actually originally Jonathan, um, and I, it was only a couple years ago I found out the meanings of the names, and this has kind of made this a little bit traumatic for me. Jonathan means a gift from God. Oh. <laughs> Scott, however, comes from the Greek word skosha, which means darkness or evil. And this is a picture of me as a baby. As you can see, I'm about two or three months old here, and my head is the same size as my father's. <laughs> and for some reason, inexplicable to me, all my facial features are on the bottom half of my head. <laughs> and you could project a film on the top. So I think what happened is I've been getting to the bottom of this, and I think my father was like, he's Jonathan, he's a gift from God, my firstborn son, and my mother said, you didn't have to give birth to it. We're calling him Scott, because he's the devil. Um, so that's how I think that went. Um, so this morning, let's start with Batman, the 1960s Batman. How many of you remember this Batman? Okay, so some of you. Um, some of you will have only have seen it in reruns, and others of you will have seen it live. Um, we have our modern-day Batman, fantastic Christopher Nolan, serious, proper Batman. We have kind of mid-'80s and 90s Michael Keaton, Tim Burton Batman called Camp Batman, and this is clothes are way too tight Batman um, from the 1960s. But... There's a storytelling technique within the Batman series that I absolutely love. Episodes will often open with some sort of tragedy befalling Gotham City. Some sort of villain has arisen and is robbing a bank or kidnapping somebody or pouring something into the water. And then in the midst of this doom and gloom, this sense of drama, the screen starts to spin and the narrator says, meanwhile... And the focus of the story changes. And it focuses on somebody else. And you know as soon as it changes focus that whoever this new person is who is within the frame is going to change the outcome of this story. It'll move to Wayne Manor or to Commissioner Gordon's office. But you know someone is about to get involved in the story who is going to change it. And that's what happens at the beginning of the book of Exodus. It's like it begins with this mural, like this, like this gigantic cityscape. There are people up there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hi. Um, <laughs> that's a first. Um, so the, the story begins with the stories of nations, with the, the people of Israel within Egypt, a whole people group, too many to name, and an oppressing power, Egypt. And the story goes that there's a new pharaoh, there's a new sheriff in town, and he's forgotten the part that Joseph and the nation of Israel played in the sustainability and the wealth of Egypt 400 years earlier. They've forgotten the role that Israel played. And this new pharaoh, he hates Egypt, and so he begins to press down upon them, to oppress them, and to try and rub them out from existence. 
Meanwhile, an unnamed woman pushes her unnamed child out into the Nile. The screen spins, the focus changes from hundreds of thousands of people to one unnamed woman and one unnamed child. And nothing could seem so insignificant and nothing could seem so inconsequential. But this is where the story begins to change. This is where life is for me. In the meanwhile, in the seemingly inconsequential things, in the changing of the focus to the seemingly insignificant, which is my life. Meanwhile, a woman pushes her baby out into the Nile. And just as it looks like hope is lost, Pharaoh's daughter reaches into the Nile and pulls him up out. And she gives him this name, this name Moses, and I was talking to friends about this earlier today. And Moses' name means lifted from the water. It's a statement about where he's come from, but it's also a promise about what will happen in the future. The God who has rescued him here in this moment from the water is the God who will rescue Israel through him from the water at the Red Sea. It's this beautiful juxtaposition in the middle of what seems like a meaningless moment. And so Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace and one day he steps out of the palace to rejoin his people group. He goes to a Hebrew slave camp and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave unmercifully and he steps in. And we don't know if this was out of malice or foolishness or if his energy or his zeal got the better of him, but he steps in to try and change the situation and he blows it. He kills the slave master and he buries him in the sand. The next day he returns to the camp, sees two Hebrews fighting, and says to them, why are you fighting? You're on the same team, you're part of the same tribe, you're part of the same race. This is not the time for us to be divided, this is the time for us to be together. And they turn to him and they say, as so many of us us have heard, what are you going to do, kill us like you did the Egyptian? What's present there in their words is we know who you are. We know who you've come from. Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are to have a voice within this story? I know your past. I know the mistakes that you've made. The truth about you is out, and you have no part to play. Your past disqualifies you from impacting this present, and you will play no part in shaping the future. And so knowing that his secret is out, Moses runs and he settles in the land of Midian, where he mines sheep for 40 years, before one day, walking with his sheep, he comes upon a burning bush. The big question I have about this passage is is there any way for Moses to return home to his wife and explain this story without sounding like he was stoned out of his mind? So I, w- I was like walking along and there was like this bush, man. <laughs> I was like burning, but it wasn't burning, you know? It's like you were burning something, all right. <laughs> and then it started talking to me. Moses' wife was like, yeah, mm-hmm, sure it did. <laughs> He's nuts. But then even the answers the bush gives are not clear. It's classic God. This is one of those things that I love about God, but it also annoys the hell out of me. 
oh, hell's probably a rude word in this country. Um, <laughs> it annoys the heck out of me. Um, invite me back. Um, <laughs> it annoys the heck out of me. The bush says to Moses, take off your feet because the place that you're standing is holy ground. And he does. I just, and I, I love imagining this bit. Like, okay, look, you guys are all lovely, holy, mostly Dutch Americans, right? And you guys read the Bible, I'm sure, exactly as it's meant to be read, with seriousness and piety, okay? I am Irish. For me, it plays out more like a Monty Python sketch, and I can't <laughs> help imagining all the ridiculous ways in which these words could have been spoken, you know? And I, I have this image of, like, you know, do you ever see in films where stoners are like, dude, like, have you ever looked at your hand? You know, like when Moses is taking off his sandals, like, whoa, my feet are amazing. Like this, <laughs> this ridiculous scene plays out in my head. And I know that that's not what happened, but this is, this is why I would rather do comedy than preaching, but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> and he takes off his shoes, and the bush says to him, I am sending you back to your people. You are going to be their liberator, their rescuer. And Moses, he responds like most of us would. The first response to any of these things. Who am I to do such a thing? And God answers, but he doesn't. He says, I will be with you. Who am I to do such a thing? I will be with you. That doesn't answer my question. <laughs> and yet it does. Who you are your qualifications, your limitations. They may be useful, but at the end of the day, they're not the deal breaker. <laughs> Who am I to do such a thing? I will be with you. And then Moses asks, and who are you? One of the things that we don't realize growing up in Sunday school and hearing this story over and over again is that Moses only spent a few years in the Hebrew community. He would have heard stories of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But there was no synagogue, there was no established rule of life within Egypt for their religion. And it was only things he would have heard as a child. Growing up in the Egyptian palace, he would be more acquainted with Egyptian gods. You see, this is not just Moses' calling, it's also his conversion. He's never met this God before. He wasn't running from a God he knew. He didn't even know God was chasing him. He was running from a past he wanted to leave behind. Who am I to do such a thing? I will be with you. And who are you? I am who I am. <laughs> There's nothing God loves more than being clear. <laughs> and then Moses, he starts to throw out excuses. I love it. Um, because it's so much my temptation so much of the time. What if they don't listen to me? Put your hand into your cloak, and he does. And pull it out. His leprosy. He's like, thanks, God, that's really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 put it back in your cloak. Pulls it back out. The leprosy's gone. Throw your staff on the ground. He throws the staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. Now pick it up. Nope. It's just a piece of wood. <laughs> I'm in the wilderness. I can get more. <laughs> he grabs it by its tail. It becomes a staff. 
pour out your water. He pours out the water and it becomes blood. And he says, look, I have given you signs that will show the people that your authority is from me, the God who is who he is and who does what he does. And what he does is rescue. What he does is transform. What he does is change things. But I'm not a very good public speaker. And he goes, fine, bring your brother. Just go. Getting sick to the teeth of Moses' excuses. And then we come to my life verse. Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. Some people get their life verses tattooed on them, like Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse that I am so unbelievably sick of. Um, again, we can talk about that another time, and I'm sure at least one of you has a tattoo of it. Um, and there are all sorts of verses I am tempted to get tattooed upon myself. One of them is that great verse in Galatians when Paul says, I wish that those who would unsettle you about the issue of circumcision would go the whole way and castrate themselves. Uh, I think that would be a great verse um, to have tattooed on myself. (laughs) But this is the one I'm most likely to guess, and I want to get it in big, bold letters so that people think it's something bold and holy. Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. (laughs) It is my life verse because I, like Moses, don't particularly feel like I should be used for something as important as the liberation of the people that God cares about. Now, let's have a look at some Bible geography, because that's how you win over a crowd. Um, (laughs) On the left, we have Egypt, where Moses grows up. On the right, we have Midian, where Moses settles in more way than one. And in the middle, we have the wilderness through which he will lead the people of Israel. You see, when Moses left Egypt in self-imposed exile, his lonely, shame-filled, guilty, solitary journey took him through the wilderness so that when God calls him to lead his people in victorious exodus, one of the reasons is because he knows the way. You see, Moses thinks that his past disqualifies him when in fact his past, his brokenness, and his experience are exactly what qualify him to lead the people on this road. You see, our exile, the roads that we've walked in shame and in brokenness, the mistakes that we've made, the places that we've been to, the dark places that we believe cannot be redeemed within our lives, are very often the exact ways in which God seeks to use us to impact the world. This morning, I want you to know that your your exile can be their exodus. That there is no part of your story that God cannot redeem. There is no part of your story that God cannot use. There is no thing in your life that he cannot forgive. The beautiful thing about the story of Moses and the story of David that we'll talk about tonight is that God uses idiots all the time, and that's great news for you. (laughs) And me. (laughs) Like, God specializes in turning clowns into world changers, and that is my only hope. (laughs) He uses idiots all the time. And when Moses says, oh Lord, please send someone else, 
he's hinting at the one excuse that he doesn't use. The one thing he doesn't say, look, God, I had my chance. I was perfectly positioned in Pharaoh's household. I had the ear of my grandfather as well as the relationship with my people. I was in the in-between place. I could have changed the story, but my passion took over. Instead of my energy being used to liberate, my, my energy was used to annihilate. It was used to end life. I had the opportunity to free my people. I had the opportunity to change the story. And now I lead sheep, not people, for a reason, because I cannot be trusted. And the bush says, I trust you. Who am I to do such a thing? It doesn't matter. I'll be with you. And who are you? I am who I am. I am the redeemer of stories. I am the changer of lives. I am the remover of the past. I am the one who uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. I am the one who seeks to waste nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as people who are broken, as people who carry shame, as people who at this point in our lives are absolutely excellent at putting on good Christian faces over broken insides. Come and meet us. Let us know who you are and give us the, ch the courage to allow you to use our exile to be their exodus. In your name, amen. Please join me in thanking Scott for being with us. God, I believe that in the future, if we as Christians can teach the hell out of something, I think anytime hell is banished, that's a good movement. I think you're okay. Will <laughs> you please rise and receive a parting blessing into your day? Every part of your story is one who is loved by him, will be used by him to give him glory, to bring your life in abundance, to make his name great. Go in the, one who, in the name of the one who redeems all things, is making them new in you as well. Amen.